Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR Show, where we save you time by providing you the too-long-didn't-read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR Show. This is going to be the weekly recap for April 24th, 2022 to April 30th, 2022. We have a lot of good headlines in here. We will not be having the after show this week, but we will continue with the normal scheduled broadcasting for the next week. But again, we will not be having the after show this week. So let's go ahead and dive into the top headlines. So first major headline that we saw was hackers find 122 vulnerabilities, 27 deemed critical during the first round of DHS bug bounty program. So more than 450 security researchers were working through the Department of Homeland Security's Hack the DHS bug bounty program, identified more than 122 vulnerabilities, 27 of which were deemed critical, according to a DHS statement that was first obtained by CyberScoop. 125,000 was awarded to participants and payouts ranged anywhere from $500 to $5,000 for verified vulnerabilities. So bug bounty programs are extremely popular today with all different organizations. We've seen a lot of the different government entities and departments and agencies starting to get on board with this. We had others like the uh, Hack the Air Force and a couple of the branches have done their own programs and been very successful with that. So it's no surprise that DHS is doing this. These are very valuable. Typically with these uh, these department uh, or government-sponsored events, you go through a little bit more scrutiny as far as who is able to participate. It's not like your typical bug crowd or hacker one kind of program where a lot of people can sign up and just do it because rightfully so, you know, it's dealing with the government. But again, these, these programs are, you know, massively, massively beneficial to companies because you don't have to have somebody on staff all the time and be paying for them while they'll find bugs. You can let other researchers out there put in the time, put in the effort. And typically, especially if it's more complex vulnerability, you know, even if you're paying like $5,000, maybe that effort to find that actual bug bounty would have cost you a lot more if you had somebody on staff. Maybe you have somebody on staff for, you know, I don't know, a hundred and something thousand dollars a year. And so you're paying, you know, significantly more than that for them to find these bugs. So these are definitely very viable. Next headline, uh, since declaring cyber war on Russia, anonymous has leaked 5.8 terabytes of Russian data. So the data was published via a platform called DDO Secrets. And Anonymous, this hacking group, they vow to release more data belonging to Russian businesses and governments, uh, organizations including a commercial bank even. And the article has more information about the specific companies that have already been leaked. And it's, you know, it's a lot of data that's been released that's one of the issues with some of these hacking groups and these external, you know, entities is that, you know, sometimes they will try to extort or blackmail various companies, 
I mean, obviously in this situation, this is very much tied to the Russia-Ukraine conflict and the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we've seen that in previous weeks in the news episodes. But, you know, it, it's an interesting kind of decision as far as just how do you respond to something like this? You know, what do you do? And especially with so much uh, ransomware out there and those kind of incidents, you know, how do, how do you handle that? Are you going to pay or do whatever they want? Or are you going to, you know, continue as normal and really just kind of accept the consequences and just just keep moving? So it's a very interesting topic as far as security is concerned. Uh, AWS's Log4j patches blue holes in its own security. So Amazon Web Services has updated its Log4j security patches after it was discovered that the original fixes made customer deployments vulnerable to container escape and privilege escalation. This means that you can actually get access to the underlying system outside of that container. So typically, and if you're not familiar with what containers are, they're basically a bucket or an isolated kind of system where it's meant to be you know, low resources and it does rely on the host operating system, but it's meant to be a more secure kind of way of deploying services. And so if you can escape out of that container and actually get access to the underlying operating system, that's very dangerous because that is counterproductive or counter to why you would want to use a container uh, because you're, you're really trying to protect that host operating system as much as possible. And uh, this continues to be a major issue like we thought it would be because obviously for Log4j was a big announcement when that originally came out that there was an issue with that. If you're not familiar with what Log4j is, I definitely recommend that you go back and check that because even if that hasn't affected you today, it probably will affect you going into the future still. I mean, I think we're just kind of seeing the surface being scratched as far as some of this stuff coming to light. Uh, U.S. government grants academics $12 million to develop cyber attack defense tools. The U.S. Department of Energy, the DOE, has announced that it will provide $12 million in funding to six university teams to develop defense and mitigation tools to protect U.S. energy delivery systems from cyber attacks. goes on to say that projects will focus on detecting, blocking, and mitigating attempts to compromise critical controls within the U.S. power grid. And then the universities and teams that are listed include Florida International University, Iowa State University, New York University, Texas A&M Engineering Experiment Station, University of Illinois at uh, Chicago, and Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University. So this is not new where um, departments and uh, government entities will grant research funds to universities and work with them to develop tactics or techniques or tools or whatever the case is, because you know these institutions are research institutions. That's what these professors really specialize in. And um, but it you know it's one of those things where and specifically with this because this is very focused on the Department of Energy and those uh, the power grid systems. Because I think there is starting to be even more of an emphasis really on critical infrastructure 
With the power grid, that's obviously a big deal because if the power grid gets knocked out, then obviously, you know, that's going to cause a lot of issues for the country. So we really want to try to secure that. And especially as these systems become more internet connected and the whole internet of things and, you know, instead of having these isolated systems where they don't touch anything else, you know, I don't think that we can afford to have some of these systems go down. So it's definitely reassuring and great to see that the uh, Department of Energy is investing in trying to develop some of these capabilities. And really, you know, the, the ability to detect these attacks, to stop them. And again, we see this going on in other countries and in the whole Russia-Ukraine incident and uh, the invasion of uh, R- Russia invasion, invading into Ukraine. We see some, some power grid um, attacks. And so we, we can't afford to have that happen to us, right? That, that would be catastrophic as far as our country and our ability to continue to operate with normal operations. Uh, Beanstalk DeFi project robbed of $182 million in flash loan attack. Decentralized finance or DeFi project Beanstalk has lost $182 million in flash loan attack. Uh, basically, flash loan, uh, loan functions in DeFi projects allows users to borrow large amounts of virtual funds for a short period of time. In Beanstalk Farm's case, uh, voting powers were based on the amount of tokens that were held. Now, it says that uh, after the attacker secured a flash loan, therefore extensive voting rights normally used to accept or decline changes in the protocol's code, an emergency governance mechanism was used, uh, was abused to vote for a malicious proposal and allow themselves to send funds to a wallet that they controlled. After all this, the flash loan was repaid. So this is a really dangerous thing, right? Uh, specifically with Beanstalk and decentralized finance. But whenever you have a situation like that, this is kind of similar actually to uh, like the stock market, I would say, right? Because if you have enough funds or enough shares in a company, then you really can control the rights or the, the voting privileges, the decisions for that company. And I, I see this as a very similar kind of thing, but obviously these attackers were able to relatively easily just abuse the system and gain access to all these funds and all these voting rights and kind of get to decide what they want to happen. That's really dangerous. That just shows that there's not, there's not, good enough mechanisms to control this from happening. There's not good enough checks and balances that are going to prevent this. And, you know, if you're just getting into cybersecurity right now, or if you are interested in this future kind of emerging technology and area of decentralized finance, you know, I would, I would definitely pay very close attention to this. And I would try to learn as much as possible about this and how this could be resolved and, the kind of controls and mechanisms that you could potentially put into place. Experts warn of a surge in zero-day flaws observed and exploited in 2021. 
So Google's Project Zero uh, researchers reported that 58 zero days were discovered in 2021. 28 zero days were detected in 2020, which marks a record for the company since it started tracking these issues in mid-2014. It also says, while we, grow often, while we often talk about the number of zero days explo- uh, exploits used in the wild, what we're actually discussing is the number of zero days zero day exploits detected and disclosed as in the wild. And that leads to the first conclusion. We believe that the large uptick is in the zero days in 2021 is due to the increased detection and disclosure of these zero days rather than simply increased usage of zero day exploits. So one of the things that you'll see in cybersecurity is that as your program gets more mature, as your, your tooling and your alerting and all this stuff gets more mature, you will get better at detecting stuff, right? It's just inevitable. You get people that are more trained, that know more about what you know needs to happen, how to configure these tools properly, what kinds of things to look for, what kinds of things to tune out, and you just get better at it, right? And especially with zero days, you know, the ability to detect it a lot easier is just so much you know, it's just so important to the organization as a whole. And just the ability to do that is really, really crucial in your organization. So typically, uh, if you're not familiar with zero days, typically what happens is this is a vulnerability that we don't know about, right? So it could be Um, it could just be something that an attacker found and they've just been sitting on this vulnerability for a while. And then eventually they will use it and start attacking a company. And then all of a sudden we start to figure out what's wrong and what's the the zero day. Then it gets reported to the vendor. The vendor releases a patch and then, you know, hopefully all is good. But again, just the ability to detect it is great. EU to unveil landmark law to force big tech to police illegal content. Now, this article is really interesting. I want you to pay attention to this. The EU is poised to unveil a landmark law on Friday that will force big tech to police their platforms more aggressively over illegal content, marking the latest move by regulators to curb the power of large technology groups. Controversial practice of targeting users online based on their religion, gender, or sexual preference, will be banned under the Digital Services Act, according to four people with knowledge of the discussions. Under the DSA, manipulative techniques that lead people to unwillingly click on content on the internet, known as dark patterns, will also face a ban. Now, this is really interesting, and here's why. A lot of these social media companies and big tech companies, they... You know, for well, for one, they haven't been great at always detecting this kind of activity, right? It's very, very difficult to filter and moderate through so much data. You have to remember, some of these companies like Facebook and Instagram and Google, they see so much data and so much user activity that that is a very difficult task, right? It's not like, oh, I got one tweet And so I can just look through that one tweet and see if it's true, right? So that alone is a challenge. Trying to police illegal content, that's where, you know, I get even more skeptical because 
you know, now you're trying to force these companies to enforce laws or, you know, identify illegal content. I, I'm not sure of the potential of that because, you know, for one, you have to be aware of what illegal content is, right? So specifics of it, you have to be, you know, pretty good at identifying that. And there's certain things that I think that you can pretty easily identify, you know, I mean, selling drugs, things like that, right? That's, that's pretty cut and dry. Obviously an attacker, somebody could, uh, somebody malicious could hide or disguise that. Um, but as a private company or, you know, a public company, like a publicly traded company, something like that, that's not really your job so or your place in society. And so, you know, like in the U.S., I don't know that something like this could happen. I don't know that you could force a company to, um, to really invest a ton of funds in trying to do really police work, right? Like that is, um, that's hard. That That's hard because, you know, now you're going to force the business to have to actually plan for that. And I can understand, you know, doing some things like, you know, really trying to keep the platform clean or, you know, not have some of this extra activity. But putting in place a law that has, that forces them to do it, I I don't know. We're going to have to see how this one plays out because I just don't know. And then we also, you know, we have Elon Musk who's trying to, um, who's trying to buy out Twitter, right? And take over Twitter. And he is very much an advocate of freedom of speech. And potentially if he takes over Twitter, right, then, and everything goes through, then, you know, there might be less moderation with something like Twitter. So again, we'll have to see how this plays out. I, I'm not sure how, you know, I'm not sure how well this is going to play out, frankly. Uh, leaked chats show Lapsus stole T-Mobile source code. So logs show that Lapsus breached T-Mobile multiple times in March, stealing source code for a range of company projects T-Mobile says that no customer or government information was stolen in the intrusion. The logs indicate that Lapsus had exactly zero problems buying, stealing, or sweet-talking their way into employee accounts or companies they wanted to hack. The bigger challenge for Lapsus was a subject mentioned by Lapsus Jobs in the screenshot that's in the article uh, was device enrollment. In most cases, this involves social engineering employees at the targeted firm into adding one of their computers or mobile devices to the list of devices allowed to authenticate with the company's VPN or virtual private network. And I, I would actually look at this article. Uh, this is definitely one that you're going to want to see just because a lot of the back and forth in the chat that happened throughout this process that they have screenshots of is pretty interesting. This, you know, this really screams at least privilege and limiting access to, you know, the, 
the least amount of privilege for users because one of the things with social engineering especially is, you know, if it's successful and you're able to social engineer somebody, if they have the rights to do something specifically, right, and say they click a link, then that attacker can do everything that they, you know, want to do, that that person has privileges to do. But the more that you kind of break up those privileges and separate it into different roles, the harder it is, right? Because, for instance, okay, let's say you have device enrollment and that's one privilege, but then maybe somebody else actually has to provision specific accesses for that device or something. You know what I'm saying? Like kind of breaking it up like that where, you know, you just, you don't want one person to have all that access because something like this can happen. Uh, Stormos ransomware targets Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, a world-renowned beverage brand, has admittedly uh, admitted today that some of its systems were hit by a cyber attack that could be a ransomware variant. The ransomware has meanwhile released a statement that it has stolen about 161 gigabytes of data from Coca-Cola and is intending to sell the data as its ransom demands were put on the back burner of IT staff of Coke. The hacking group is looking to profit through political agendas by supporting Russia, and the group has already attacked Ukraine's Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Epic Games. So, again, you know, how do you respond to these ransomware attacks? How do you respond to attackers or hackers that have exfiltrated data from your company? It's, you know, a situation that's unfortunate when you have to deal with that, but I also think that you know, having some of these decisions decisions kind of thought out beforehand is really important because you don't want to make decisions on, uh, on emotion, right? In these kind of situations, these are big decisions and it can be easy to be like, well, okay, they have a bunch of our data. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and release, you know, or uh, let's go ahead and work with them and pay them off, right? Well, we know that that hasn't worked well before, right? You could pay the attackers or pay them through a third party, right? And um, they will still sell your data. So it's uh, it's a sticky situation for sure. And comes down to good security. You know, you, you have to really, really do as much as you can to secure your organization and do best practices and really think with that zero trust mindset. So, you know, assume that somebody is in your network and then what can we do to minimize the impact that they have? Minimize the impact uh, or the amount of data that they can take out of the network. So keep that in mind for sure. U.S. offers $10 uh, $10 million reward for tips on Russia and uh, sandworm hackers. So the U.S. is offering $10 million to identify or locate six Russian GRU hackers, which are part of the notorious Sandworm Hacking Group. And this is part of the Rewards for Justice program by the Department of State. And, uh, yeah, I mean, good on, good on them. A lot of these government organizations, they will, you know, find a lot of these attackers, these hackers. It's just a matter of time. And we've seen in previous episodes of this show that there are, you know, there are attackers and hackers that, 
you know, some group is going to irritate or do something and people will, you know, sell, sell them out, right? They will report them. They will uh, tell the authorities who they are, right? And, um, you know, this is, this is good on them. And this is kind of like a bug bounty, right? They're, they're offering a reward to find, find the vulnerability, right? So... Uh, Google Play launches its own privacy nutrition labels following similar effort by Apple. So uh, they're going to require developers to pro- uh, properly disclose the, the data that their app collects, if and how it's shared with third parties, and the app's security practices and more. So when you compare it to Apple's App Store, Google Play puts a bigger focus on whether you can trust the data that's collected is being handled responsibly by allowing developers to disclose if they follow best practices around data security. So data privacy, data security, this is a big hot topic. And we've seen in, for instance, Europe, that there's a lot more emphasis on protecting people's privacy, people's data. And, you know, I think that other countries are going to definitely keep following and continuing to evolve. Uh, I think that EU is, the European Union is definitely... Uh, kind of the trendsetter, the front runner as far as these protections. But especially with these apps, you know, these these app stores and the apps that they've let in have been horrendous as far as what they've allowed to happen. You know, they've given app developers access to so much data and then something happens and then all of a sudden we discover it and then it's like, okay, well, let's limit it a little bit more. So it's a good step. But I wish that, you know, for something like this that we could get it right a little bit earlier instead of kind of waiting to the end. So, uh, and then Emotet, malware infects users again after fixing broken installer. So Emotet malware phishing campaign is up and running again. They had a bug, basically their script. It was trying to reference a uh, link file that didn't exist so the VBS file, the Visual Basic uh, file that they needed, wasn't created at that point. So uh, if you're not familiar with Emotet, it's a malware infection distrib- distributed through spam campaigns with malicious attachments. If a user opens a file attachment, malicious macros or scripts will download the Emotet uh, DLL and load it into memory. Once loaded, that malware will search for and steal emails to use in future spam campaigns and drop additional payloads such as Cobalt Strike or other malware that continuously leads to ransomware attacks. So that's a big uh, malware variant that you should look look up if you're not familiar with it. Uh, Vulnerabilities. Atlassian addresses a critical JIRA authentication bypass. So CVE 2022-0540 dealing with uh, authentication bypass. Definitely check that out. It has a CVSS score of 9.9. Firms push for CVE-like cloud bug system. So one of the issues with the CVE scoring is uh, it's made by MITRE. They will not designate CVE IDs for security issues deemed to be the responsibility of cloud providers. The assumption is that cloud providers own the problem and that assigning CVEs that are not customer controlled or patched by admins fall outside of the CVE system purview. So it'll be interesting to see how this kind of evolves. 
but um, you know, I, I think that the system is probably going to end up getting updated so that you know this can really really be included in the system. Uh, cyber attack causes chaos in Costa Rica uh, government systems. The hacker group Conti Gang has claimed responsibility for a ransomware attack on the Costa Rican government that has crippled their computer systems. So uh, the systems that the Costa Rican government had impacted were tax collection to, uh, to importation and exportation processes through the customs agencies. So other systems followed these, you know, Government systems, you have to be secure. You have to stay up to date. Uh, organizations like the government typically are slow to do a lot of things. You know, so I think that one thing that they really have to do is they have to get better at being up to date and being current. And I think that, you know, a lot of governments are getting better at it, but especially a smaller country, you know, a smaller government system like Costa Rica I think they have struggles, you know, that are that are a little bit more challenging to to solve because they don't have as much manpower, right? It's a, it's a smaller country. It's not like the United States or you know some of these big countries where there's a lot of people. Even though we're very short on people that are that are talented in cybersecurity, but you know they they struggle because they're small. Uh, let's see here. New powerful print stealer malware sells for just $100 per month. So threat analysts have spotted another addition to the growing space of info stealer malware infections named print stealer, which offers powerful capabilities and extra key loggers and clipper modules. Print stealer targets a large selection of web browsers, messaging apps and gaming apps, and it can also perform direct financial compromise. So just to give you an idea of how much malware like this costs, they're charging $100 per month for this service, $200 per quarter, $700 per year, or $900 for the lifetime. So it's kind of interesting with some of this stuff, right? So like a lifetime. You know, as attackers go, I mean, a lot of this malware, we kind of figure out how it works, how to stop it, and some of this stuff, you know, even though it's like lifetime, Maybe that's a year. Maybe that's two years. You know, it's probably not 50 years, right? But uh, just that was just to give you kind of an idea of what the charges are for this malware. It's not that expensive. And, you know, especially with something like ransomware or malware where you can really take over some funds or blackmail or extort people, you know, that, that's kind of scary because it's relatively accessible. And data breach disrupts UK Army recruitment. The British Army's online recruitment portal has been offline for more than a month following a data breach. Officials shut down the computerized system in the middle of March as a precaution after the personal data of more than 100 Army recruits was found being offered for sale on the dark web. Data reportedly exposed in the incident included full names, dates of birth, addresses, qualifications and previous employment details. So these kind of systems are very critical to protect, right? You have your military or armed forces and all that information because those, those entities collect a lot of information beyond what a normal employer would collect, right? 
They're going to have the healthcare information. They're going to have a lot of this stuff in one spot or, you know, in one, one collection of systems. And, you know, those systems really have to be protected. And we've seen other incidents and, you know, examples of where systems like this that collect a ton of information haven't been that well protected or have led to data breaches. And, you know, if you're going to collect that much information, you really need to pay more attention to the security of those systems and make sure that they're protected and, you know, that not everybody has access to all that information. It goes back to zero trust. And I think that's going to be a theme for a long time, you know, really going forward is assuming that you're, that you're compromised and how do you minimize the impact? How do you prevent data from being uh, exfiltrated from your system? And, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but um, I think that, you know, going forward, we really have to work on protecting that information better, especially, you know, with the armed forces and the military and things like that. You're just collecting so much information. And not only that, but sometimes these people are targets, right? Because if it's another country or something like that that gains this information, well, that's kind of giving them a list of targets. And that's really, really, um, really, really bad. So we need to do a better job just overall of protecting these really sensitive systems. All right, so that is it for this week's episode of Cybersecurity TLDR Weekly Recap Show. Again, this was for April 24th, 2022 through April 30th, 2022. We are ending the month here. And again, there is no after show uh, after this episode. Next week, we'll go back to the normal broadcast schedule. So we'll do the, the after show then. And if you think of any comments or you see any interesting articles throughout the week until the next episode, definitely drop a comment. Remember, this is all on all the popular podcasting formats. So if you want to go to iTunes or Spotify or anything like that and just listen to the audio version of this, you can. Otherwise, check it out on YouTube where you can view the video as well. And I will see you next time.